You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jarrett Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jarrett Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher education and the broader world of marketing to bring you actionable insights you can use to level up your marketing and enrollment efforts. This is the fourth and final installment in our VP Summer Series, a podcast mini-series focusing on the unique challenges facing senior enrollment and marketing leaders. In this episode, we'll be talking about managing teams that span multiple generations. Joining us in the conversation is Kevin Krupp, Executive Vice President for Enrollment at Drury University. And, as always, we'll be joined by Echo Delta's own Laura Martin-Fetich, who's my co-host for the series. During our conversation, Kevin outlines the basic ideas underlying generational theory and some of the broad characteristics researchers have found that tie generations together. Then, Kevin discusses some of the ways his awareness of generational differences has influenced his own approach to managing teams. Kevin is well-read on the topic of generational theory, and it made for a fun conversation on a very interesting topic. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Kevin Krupp. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared. Great to be here. Excited to talk to you today and talking about things that I talk about, like generations. Yeah, well, I think this is going to be a fun and super interesting conversation. Before we jump into all that, I'd love it if you could just give us a, a little snapshot of, of your professional background and the work you do at uh, Drury University. Sure can. Well, my name is Kevin Krupp. And if you look at the spelling and you're hooked on phonics, you're going to say it wrong. So I like to say, if you can say seven up, you can say Kevin Krupp. Easy way to remember how to pronounce my name here. Um, I like that. And, and I am literally... Uh, I, about uh, a month away from my 28th anniversary of, of, of working in, in higher education. So I, I basically started in the fall of 93 after I graduated from Kenyon College uh, as a graduate assistant basketball coach. And from there, I, I moved into the college admissions world in 1995 uh, at, at Albion College. I earned my undergrad at Kenyon, my master's at Ball and Wallace. And, and eventually I found myself at Baker University as the chief enrollment officer, earned my doctorate there. Uh, and then in 2016, uh, became the executive vice president for enrollment management here at Drury uh, and currently serve as the executive vice president for enrollment management, marketing and communications. And as we're talking about generations today, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm a proud Gen Xer. I'm occasionally bitter. I'm, I'm not always bitter, but but occasionally I'm better uh, as, as a Gen Xer is, is kind of where we're allowed to be. Great. That's great. Well, I, I'm um, also a proud Gen Xer, and I, I'm going to say I'm, I'm bitter. I was a latchkey kid. I was all those things, all those things. <laughs> so good to have you here. Hey, I wonder if you'll start out by just telling us how you became interested in, in studying and learning about the generations, Kevin. Yeah, I, I think I really started in, in, in 2001 at, at NACAC. Um, Hal and Strauss were the, were the keynote speakers and they were talking about these crazy kids they called millennials um, and, and how they were going to be the next great generation. And, you know, again, as a, as a, as a bitter Gen Xer, uh, the bitterness came out because I thought we were a great generation. And, uh, and so they're telling us like, no, you, you guys weren't that great. You're kind of small as, as it turns out. And this millennial generation is going to be great. And so I started doing some reading. I, I read a number of, of their books, some of their early books um, on generations, the fourth turning, the 13th generation, which is what they call Gen X. Uh, and then Millennials Rising was the book that was out at the time and um, really, really fascinated me. It, it helped kind of explain some, some things, some generational differences between, between me and, and, and some of my cousins. I have, I have cousins that um, from from tip to tip span about 25 years. So so there's some crossover. Understanding that and, and recognizing that a big part of what we do in, in admissions and enrollment management is, is understanding the mindset of the students that we're working with. Uh, you know, what's important to them? You know, what, what are the underlying factors that, that drive their aspirations? Um, what, what provides inspiration for them? Um, and, and so having a, a sense of, of, of that generational knowledge I saw is just really important to, to, to what we do. I'd be curious if you could just kind of break down for our audience, maybe for the folks who are a little bit less familiar with some of this material, kind of what are the generational characteristics that we, we look at? And 
I, I will say, I think there's always a tendency, you know, as a Gen X, or we look at the other generations around us and tend to go, oh, kids these days, or look at, you know, uh, those baby boomers can't hold me down, you know, and, and all of that. But I think there's there's always a balance, right? And so kind of understanding maybe a little bit of of when we're looking at a particular generation, what are some of the noteworthy positives? What are maybe some of the the other things that come along with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things I think you're going to notice when we, when we talk about generations is that, um, as I like to tell tell my, my kids all the time, is that you should be, you know, on the same team as your grandparents because you both have the same enemy, right? And, and, and so, you know, when, when, you, when you look at generations, we, we're going to talk about boomers, they kind of pair up with millennials, right? And it's, it's never a perfect match, but, but by and large, they kind of team up together and, and, and Gen X and Gen Z kind of kind of team up as well. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, baby boomers who, you know, basically 1946 to 1960, somewhere between 61 and 65, depending on whose definition you like, you know, they're optimistic, they're competitive, they're, they're, they're workaholics, you know, they, they, they were team oriented. Um, they, they were, you know, trying to find their, their, their purpose, the higher purpose wasn't was important to them. Um, and that contrasts a little bit with, with, with Gen X and, and, and Gen X is a little bit more free spirited and skeptical, independent, you know, the latchkey kids, we kind of had to make our own fun and, and, and figure things out. Um, way more flexible, kind of go with the flow because we just, we, we kind of make things happen. And then, you know, come back to millennials who again, start being competitive and civic minded and looking for that, that kind of higher deal, uh, really into achievement. Um, and, and a lot of that is driven by their, their, their boomer parents. And then you turn around and you get Gen Z, again, kind of reflecting Gen X a little bit, you know, entrepreneurial, um, progressive, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're maybe less focused, if, if, if you will. Um, again, as they're, as they're kind of coming into their adulthood, it's, you know, they, they still haven't figured some things out yet. Um, but the other thing for them is, is you know, the, the world's gotten flat. And so, so they're much more global minded, I think, than, than, than previous generations. So while it's not a perfect reflection, you, you, you kind of see some of the same, same descriptive terms um, in every other generation um, as, as, you know, again, it's that influence of, of, of parents. Um, I, you know, I gave the boomer range, I, I guess I should do that for the other ranges as well. Um, you know, Gen X then is, is kind of 65 to, to 80, roughly. Millennials, 80, 81 to, to 2000, millennials ending in the millennial, and then Gen Z kind of 2001 to the current date. Um, and, and maybe that's stopping somewhere in there. We, we, we really don't know. You know, it typically takes about 10 years or so before we can determine when a, when a generation might be ending. And, you know, it, it's never really a hard end, if you, if you will. I mean, we talk about cuspers and people kind of born on the, the cusp of generations, that, that, that can go either way. And I would always say, you can kind of choose your own generation too. Um, you know, my wife would tell you, um, she feels way, way more like a millennial sometimes because of being more of a digital native. Um, she was born in, in 75. Um, and she's like, I was never a latchkey kid. You know, you know her, her experience was, was, was very different than, than a lot of other Gen Xers. Um, in fact, she, she doesn't even like X or millennial, she likes that zenial, right? That kind of half, half X, half, half millennial, which I just always say is, is pew research trying to steal half of Gen X anyway. Like we're small and you're trying to make us smaller by siphoning off people kind of at the, at the, at the latter part of our, of our generation. And, and I always like to fight to keep people in Gen X um, because we are so small and we don't need to lose anybody else. So the parents of, Oh, I'm sorry, Jared. Just a quick follow-up. So the the parents of Gen Xers, their the birth rate during that period dropped. Is that why? Right. So 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 traditional. So that's kind of traditional population, you know, or sometimes called the silent generation. And so they were born basically during the Great Depression. Um, and and so you know, a they were a small group to begin with. Um, some of them were fighting in World War II, particularly at the end of that generation. Uh, or the early part of that generation. And, and so, you know, there were, there were a few people having, having kids, smaller birth rate. And, you know, the scary thing I think for enrollment professionals right now is 
we're seeing birth rates at the same rate that we did during, you know, the Great Depression, World War II right now. Um, you know, we're, we're in, you know, I think seven years in a row of declining birth rates. And, you know, we're, we're getting below the replacement level. Like we're, we're, we're you know, close to dipping below 2.1, which is what they say is the replacement level. And so when you start looking at how many students are going to graduate from college in, you know, 2039, um, which hopefully I'm retired by then, but, um, you know, we're, we're talking about some really small graduating classes. Um, and, you know, think about the challenges, you know, that's, that's, that's the beauty, I think, of, of trying, looking at projections is we see what's coming down the pipeline. When people talk about the demographic cliff coming here in 2026, we know that because we can count seventh graders because seventh graders will be eventually become seniors. And if there's a small number of seventh graders, you can't, you know, you, you can't just inject a whole bunch of, you know, eighth graders all of a sudden, like, hey, come on in eighth graders. Now, you know, we, we, we do see growth through immigration um, and depending on, on decisions we make as a country about immigration, that could help fill some of those gaps. But, you know, for traditional college going populations, that, that number is going to be in significant decline um, really after 2026 20, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kevin, I want to circle back to a little bit of the underlying kind of theory behind this generational, these sort of generational differences. You know, I, I guess, how can we have any confidence that these things actually do exist? What, what, what's the idea behind that? Sure. So, I mean, and, and believe me, you don't, you don't have to spend too much time on Google to find people referring to Howland Strauss as pseudoscience. Um, but, but I think, you know, we, we look for meaning, we, we, we look for trends, we, we look for for ways of understanding people. And so, you know, generations fundamentally come about because of shared experiences um, and, 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 and the shared mindset of the people raising them. Um, certainly, you know, technology, enter- entertainment, you know, social mores, all, all those things kind of help shape a generation. And again, that's why there's some fluidity. And I say, if you want to choose your generation, you kind of can, because your experiences and you know, New York might be very different from somebody's in Ohio or Michigan or Arkansas or, or, or California. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes some of these trends come later to places and, you know, as technology catches up um, or, or, or certainly the, the crises, right? If you, if you look at the finding moments of, of, of different generations, whether it's, it's a Great Depression or World War II or, or the upheaval around Vietnam, um, you know, great recession, um, you know, all of these kinds of events, you know, again, kind of prove, prove to be that kind of fulcrum on, on which generations can change. Um, and, and so as, as, as people start thinking differently about things, um, you know, that, that impacts everybody's perspective. And so depending on your age of when those things happen, you know, is it affecting your childhood? Is it affecting your, you know, young adulthood? Uh, your mid-career or, or kind of late career, um, you know, th- those events that kind of happen at those seminal moments, like when, when you're in school, um, when you're, you know, in the job job force and, and, and working to, to, to buy your first house, you know, just think about the people who were trying to buy their first house when we had the housing bubble and the Great Recession of 2008. Uh, how is that impacting their decision-making when it comes to, to buying a house and, and, and thinking about um, the financial security of their family? Um, what about their kids? You know, how, how, you know, they're watching their parents struggle, maybe going through a home foreclosure. And again, you know, all of that kind of just leads to, you know, these, these, these common senses. And, and so, um, you know, we, we talk about Gen X a little bit and, you know, when, when, when we were in our childhood, right, as, as Laura talked about, we, we were abandoned, right? We saw the rise of, of, of two parents working, being, being home alone, you know, and, and, it, and it's almost like it took Macaulay Culkin and John Hughes to, to make the movie Home Alone to realize maybe leaving our kids at home is, is really not a good thing. Because, um, you know, I look at that movie and I go, look at, look at how much fun they had. And look at all the independence he had. And he went shopping and he ordered pizza, you know, and, and it feels like, man, he's, he's acting like a true Gen Xer there. Um, but, but the way that, you know, the, the fact that the parents kind of forgot about them, I mean, it, that, that kind of feels like a perfect an, an, you know, analogy for, for, for Gen X. So, so what I hear, um, my takeaway from this, Kevin, is that I should not rig up a blowtorch that kicks off when I like open a door 
and I should not right. be swinging paint cans <laughs> off the, the second story. Right. That's right. Um, but, but, but if you were threatened and someone was trying to break into your house, maybe it's okay if you do that. Um, but, you know, I, we, 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 I was teasing my youngest that if we left him home alone, what kind of things would he do to set up booby traps around her house? And like, did you learn anything from that movie? And he says, well, you know, um, you know, we got a BB gun, I suppose I could, I could use. And, you know, our, 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 we got a dog and, and, he, and he's like, he's like, ah, I just, I, I don't know if we have enough of the, of the stuff that really caused pain and injury lying around the house that I could use <laughs> to defend myself. And I'm like, because we've gotten to that place where we just have taken those things out of our houses. Yeah. That's right? right. And, That's and, right. and are, we, are we bubble wrapping our kids? Yeah, maybe a little yeah. bit, but yeah. you know, I, I tell my daughter all the time, the reason there's so few Gen Xers is that we didn't have bike helmets. We rode in the back of pickup trucks. We drank out of the hoses. So only the strong survived, <laughs> right? And, and, and That's those, exactly right. Those who, who weren't strong, you know, we lost them along the way. That's and so right. we got a smaller right. generation. All right, Kevin, I am totally motivated to ask you a question about the workplace. So um, all of us work with people, and I'm sure everybody that's listening works with people and manages people. And of course, the title of our podcast is about managing a team spanning all these generations. So I'd love it if you could talk about um, your your experience, I, I guess. What are the some of the ways that the general generational differences um, can reveal themselves in the in the workplace. Um, and if you've got some stories, you know, oh, yeah. we'd of course, love to hear that. Don't use anybody's name, though. <laughs> I, I, I will protect the guilty and the innocent um, as it relates to these stories. But, you know, when you start talking about people in, in, in kind of in, in the workplace, you know, I, I've, I've had the, the, the privilege of working with you know, up, upwards of probably a hundred admissions professionals and, and financial aid professionals in, in my career. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think maybe one or two could be, be older than the baby boomers and being in that silent generation, maybe they, they probably would rather be referred to as a boomer, but um, I've certainly worked with my share of boomers and, you know, understanding, you know, what they've wanted out of, out of their careers and what they want in, in, in terms of, of feedback you know, there's a sense of we've been here a long time. We, we know what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we've, we've gone through a number of crises. Um, you know, we, we, we've, we've got this experience that's just allowed us to, 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 to be knowledgeable. And when, when you think about, you know, what does that mean in, in terms of, of what they want? I mean, they feel like they've paid their dues, right? They, they, they belong where they belong. And, um, and I've always said, you know, you can be an admissions officer, you can work in an enrollment and age, age doesn't matter, but, but your mindset does because you always have to be able to connect with that high school student um, as well as their parents, but you got to connect with the high school student. And so I think sometimes, um, you know, when I, when I worked with baby boomers, it was like reminding them, it's like, I know you want to connect with the parents, but you got to connect with the student as well. And I, I had, you know, when, when I got to Baker, I, I had three staff that, that pretty much baby boomers um, and they were really good at that. You know, they, they had the ability to make those connections um, with, with high school students. Um, you know, one, you know, I won't say his full name, but we call it, his nickname was Ricky Recruiter. And, and he was like Dick Clark. He was the eternal teenager. Right. And, and he just, you know, I don't know what his age was. I knew he was older than me, um, but, but, but he had the ability to kind of connect you know, with, with students. I think, I think the, the, the hard part, you know, this came about of like, you know, re recognizing that, you know, this job still requires a lot of work, a lot of hard work. Um, and just because we're smarter doesn't mean we have to work, you know, we work smart doesn't mean we don't work hard as well. Uh, and, and realizing that, you know, the, you just can't fade off in the, in the glory. You, you have to, to, to continue to work to do the job. And I think, you know, after having some conversations, we're able to, able to find that um, and, and find, find that right mix of, of, of hard work and smart work to, to really be effective um, at what they did. Um, you know, we've seen a lot, I've worked with a lot of Gen Xers as, as colleagues, um, you know, when I started as an admissions officer and, and, and working my way through and, and certainly some of my, my directors have, have, have been Gen Xers and, 
Now, I always like to say about Gen X, you know, maybe a fault of ours is we grew up watching MASH and whether it was, you know, on Sunday nights or it was the reruns, you know, we had this kind of Hawkeye Pierce um, um, uh, trying to think what the right word I want to say here, but the, the, this um, Hawkeye Pierce uh, persona, right? That, that if we're the best at what we do, we can get away with anything. Um, you know, because, you know, Hawkeye and, and Trapper and, and, you know, they, they should have been kicked out of the army. I don't know, dozens and about once every episode at, at a minimum, but they're the best damn surgeons in, in Korea. So, so you can't do anything. And I think, you know, Gen Xers, we, we grew up with that sense of like, Hey, if we're really good at what we do, you know, we can, we can kind of do what we want. And, and that's not necessarily always true. Um, I, I think you still have to, to, to play by the rules at times and, and, and that can get you in trouble if you're if you're not doing that. But you know, we 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 came into the workforce with this entrepreneurial spirit, ability willing to be flexible and and, and to try different things. And um, you know, I think when you, when I, I think about you know the Gen Xers that I work with, it's just it's recognizing that sometimes we can't always be flexible, and sometimes you know, I, again, you have to play by the rules and, and and live up to expectations that people have for you. And you know, and again, I think all this, whether we're talking about, you know, boomers or Gen X, we'll get to millennials here in a minute. It's, it's how do you show people that you value them? You know, how, how are you validating their contributions and what they bring to the table? I, th I think that's, that's the most important thing in managing people. And, and understanding about generations can help you to get to know someone maybe out of the gate, but eventually you really have to know the person. And, and they shouldn't be defined just by their generation. They should be you know, defined by who they are as a person, what they do as an employee. Um, but when you walk into a situation, you know, generational understanding can, can kind of give you a head start. You know, <laughs> millennials, I, I, I feel like, you know, since I became a director, all I've been doing, you know, is, is managing millennials and, and, and their sense of, of achievement and their, the, I'll even say entitlement sometimes, and that I'm ready to be a director of a mission after two years of experience, kind of, kind of feels like you're getting your, you're getting ahead of yourself there, you know, millennial. Um, you know, there, there, there's more things you need to experience before you're ready for that. But that I think is just what was inbred to me as as a Gen Xer, as as, as boomers were were kind of holding on to leadership positions and, and really hesitant to let them go to the next generation. It's kind of like you got to be like us. You have to wait your time. You have to pay your dues. Um, but somehow that doesn't ring quite as true coming from a Gen X or to a millennial. Yeah. Um, so so are, I'm starting to pick up that, that maybe you're seeing some or maybe you've experienced some of these generational differences play out in, in the workplace. Um, I, I talk, could you talk a little bit more about that? I feel like you're, you're going down that road and I'd love you to yeah, continue yeah, down I, that road. Yeah. So, so, you know, when, when I worked at Baker for one of our staff retreats, I talked about the different generations and, you know, try to help people to, to see themselves and kind of where they were and how other people might be, might be viewing them and, and recognizing that, and this is true with campus visits and basically anything else. Um, when, when you're trying to understand somebody, you can either kind of confirm their preconceived notions or you can refute them. Right. And you can say, well, I, I might be classified as a baby boomer, but look at all this technology knowledge I have, right? And, and look at how I'm leveraging Excel or CRM or you know e email programs. Um, so you have the opportunity to, to do that. And so, you know, when, when I when I think about pe people I've managed and people that I've worked with, um, you know. Yes, those those generational uh, generation generalizations have proven true more often than not, um, and so that's led to some of these challenging conversations. And, and and to say, okay, I know this is how you want to do things, but this is what we need from you to be successful in this role. Um, and you know, if, if you can do that, if you can adapt to that, you know, you you can be successful here. And I would say in the great majority of those situations, we, we found success um, in, in, in doing that. Um, not everyone, but, but in the great majority of them. And, and trying to help people 
realize what their strengths are and what the strengths needed for a position are, you know, I, I think that's that's one of our roles as, as leaders and, and, and mentors for staff, um, as helping people recognize blind spots that they have, helping them recognize not only their strengths, but, but the areas that they need to, to continue to improve on in order to be successful. And, you know, the, the, the one, the one, the one employee I'm thinking of in particular, who after two years thought she should be, you know, ready to be a director of a mission, you know, and, and, and when I said no, her response was, well, tell me why. And, and she's like, I've, I've led the office and enrollment deposits two years in a row. I've taken on these, these opportunities to, to grow from a marketing perspective. And, you know, and, and so she was, she was touting these things that, that, that she had learned. Um, but what she wasn't recognizing is that she was, she was doing this while basically being a maverick and doing her own thing and not really being a team player. Um, and then if she was going to be a director, she was going to have to work on pulling people together for, 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 for teamwork, for more, for more collaboration, which typically is what millennials are really good at. Right. And, you know, I, I we talk about superheroes growing up in Gen X, we, we had Superman, right? We had Batman and Robin, but that was about the, the, the most teamwork there was with superheroes. They all did it by themselves. And now all of a sudden we live in the era of, of Marvel comics and they all got to team up together. You know, and part of me is kind of like Superman didn't need anybody else. He, he just took care of himself. And now, you know, we got to, we got to assemble, right? We got to, we got to, we got to pull, you know, the Avengers, we got to get, we got to get five or, or, or six together before we can take on the bad guys. Right. And, you know, and, and so, you know, trying to walk her through this kind of conversation about you have potential and, and you have ability, but there's other aspects of this job besides just being a good recruiter in order to move into a leadership position. It's, it's how do you manage others? And if you want everybody to be a maverick, that's, that, that can be great until you all have to come together on, on an event day or, or, or some other kind of major initiative where, where you have to work together and if you're all used to doing your own thing, this isn't going to kind of come together. And so, you know, helping her see here's where your growth opportunities are. And if being a director is your ultimate goal, you know, I think you have potential, but, but the, here's the things you're going to have to, to improve upon in order to get to that place. To what extent do you find it helpful to talk about these differences like explicitly versus just kind of operating in the background of your own mindset and just kind of maybe providing clues and an, an additional source of way or a different, an additional way to look at say a person or situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think doing the session we did at our retreat to, to talk about generations was a good way of doing it without having to talk about individuals. I've never, I've never gone into someone and, and from a professional standpoint, say you're a millennial, therefore blank. Right. I think talking about the generalizations as, as a large group allowed everyone to draw their own conclusions without really kind of pointing fingers at people and, and, and saying you're a fill in the blank. Therefore, this um, I, I think, you know, again, walking into a situation, starting a job and inheriting staff, you know, trying to get to understand them. It really gets down to knowing them as a person. And, and, and while you might start off with some assumptions because of, of what generation they might be in. Um, you're really doing them a short service if, if you don't get to know them and, and truly get to understand them as, as a person and as an employee. I would certainly do the generational thing again um, in, in, in a larger group. I haven't. It's been, oh, it's, it's been nine years, I think, since, since the last time I did that. Uh, and now that we have some Gen Zs in the, in the workforce, you know, that's, it, it may be time to, to do that. Um, but again, I would start off by this, as I started with you, kind of couching that these are generalizations and not everybody in a generation is going to have experienced those things. And so, you know, don't just automatically pigeonhole people because, you know, these recent grads that we've hired are, are, are Gen Z. Um, you know, there's some similarities between millennials and Gen Z in, in terms of they like the flexibility in the workforce. And, you know, this whole work from home during COVID fit their lifestyle perfectly. In fact, I think they would just say, we'd rather just work from home altogether. Um, now, given we do an awful lot with campus visits, we can't do campus visits from home. Uh, we tried that last year. Um, we, you know, ramped up our virtual tours and things like that. 
it's not the same. There are some things that still have to happen in person, but I think we recognize there's other parts of this job that we can do remotely. And, you know, my, my takeaway is maybe we need to be a little bit more flexible uh, about some of the, the work at home stuff. Um, certainly from a follow-up perspective, whether you're calling from your office on campus or you're calling from your office at home, you're having the same conversations with the students. Um, you know, you don't have to have a, a jury pennant and a flag behind you in order to have a good conversation with the prospective student. Um, now, if you're on Zoom, you might want to, and you can always, but you could always do that at home. You don't have to be in, in the Zoom room. Uh, you, you can create that at home. So, um, you know, again, I, I think it goes back to, you know, using using those generational um, characteristics as a starting point um, and, and maybe allowing yourself to, to try to be empathetic and, and to see things from their perspective. Um, but that's that's the starting point. Um, really about relationships. Yeah, I think that the empathy thing, yeah, and the empathy thing, Kevin, I think is huge because as you were talking about um, this, how I'm going to paraphrase what you just said, and I might be wrong or I might be off here, but perhaps changing the workplace uh, to suit these generational um, preferences, um, you know, the work at home. And I'm thinking to myself as a Gen Xer, nobody did that for me. Nobody, it's like, here is what it is. And if you want a job, you're going to sh show up where we tell you to show up and do what we tell you to do. So yeah, yeah I, I can see all, all over the place how, how conflicts can happen and, and, um, yeah, my 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 skin is going, you know, I'm just having that moment where I'm like, what? I would have liked to work from home too when I was in my 20s. But anyway, <laughs> empathy, empathy is important. I, I, I still remember an employee on, on, on her very first day. And so I, I'm meeting with her for my onboarding meeting, right? And her first question to me was, well, well tell me about how this work-life balance thing works out in college admissions. And I said, well, I go, it's different for everyone, but, but let me tell you, when I started in 1995, um, we worked eight to five and we had to call for two hours a night, four nights a week. And so some people did Monday through Thursday, but you could also do Sunday. I did Sundays because, because I was coaching basketball still, I needed to be able to go to games on Wednesdays. So I called on Sundays um, and, you know, I had to tape must see TV on Thursday, you know, Friends and, and Seinfeld and, and ER and, and sometimes I get home just in time to see ER live, right? And then I'd watch Friends and, and and Seinfeld afterwards because that that was the work. I don't know where the life was. The life was on the weekends, but we worked a lot of Saturdays too. And you know, I, I remind staff now, like we don't make people call four nights a week anymore. In part because people don't answer the phone the way they used to. You want to talk about generational differences? You would think. Before you'd, you'd call people and they weren't home, so you talk to their parents. Well, now they have the phone in their pocket and they don't answer it um, because they just they don't know if they don't have a good reason to talk to you. They're not taking the call, and so you know phoning is not nearly as effective as it once was. So, so to make people kind of do do phone calling just because well that's what I did when I was a young admissions officer just seems a little short sighted. Um, but you know we still talk about that after hours follow up, but oftentimes it could be text messaging. Um, it could be some email conversations and yeah, we still, we still, you know, call particularly our admitted students and, and, and beyond. Um, but you know, that, that, that's changed. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, again, a generational thing for, for, for Xers because we were latchkey kids, because we, you know, had to create our own fun. When we got to the, to the, to the workplace, we wanted to be left alone. Tell me what I need to do and, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to find out how to do it. Right. And, and, I, and I think that is that, that is reflective of how, how we operated. And, and we bristled at the idea of being micromanaged um, and having someone over our shoulders. Um, but then you say getting millennials and, and what, what were they known for? Well, they, they had the parents who, who were what the helicopter parents. They were hovering over them. And, and so they grew up with kind of people kind of looking over their shoulder and, and, and maybe pointing out when they needed to do things differently. But now. With, with, with Gen Z, it's almost like we, we don't talk about helicopter parents anymore. We talk about lawnmower parents or snowplow parents that they are, are making things easy for them. They're, they're, they're filling out their application for them. I, 
every year we catch, I don't know, a dozen or so, you know, applications where parents put their name in instead of their child's name in and then still hit submit. And, you know, and then they're like, Hey, I need to log back into my application. I got to edit some things. And the thing they edit is the name. Like we get to see what the changes are. Um, and, and so, you know, does that mean for, for employees that, that, that they need more handholding and that they need to be told what to do? And I think sometimes the answer is yes. And again, that's not everybody. Um, but, you know, I was reading an article about generations um, earlier this week, and, and they, I think the opening quote was about how Gen Zs want more check-ins from, from, from their supervisors that, you know, it used to be if your boss needed to talk to you, like you were in trouble. And now they're like, they want regular check-ins because they want to be told that they're doing a good job, that they're important, that they're valued. And they want, they want more consistent feedback. Um, but I also think that there's times where it's like, am I doing this right? Means I have to explain to you again, why you need to do what you need to do. Um, instead of just figuring it out, making it work. So I'm, I'm curious if someone is, uh, you know, if this conversation is resonating with someone and they're, they're curious to learn more uh, about this topic, where would you recommend someone start? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's plenty of books out there and, and, and I mentioned, you know, how and Strauss is kind of where I started and, and I got a big stack of books over here. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, millennials rising was, was, was really the Bible right? As it relates to, to getting to know the, the millennials, um, you know, and, and as, and as a Gen Xer, you know, I always like X saves the world by Jeff Gordon here. Um, if you're an Xer, you're going to love it. If you're not an Xer, you're probably going to get mad and, and throw the book across the room. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of understanding, you know, students today, I think Jean Twinge and, and, and her book, iGen, you know, is, is, is a great primer on that. I mean, there's, there's some really scary stuff and, you know, not surprisingly, she spoke at NACAC a couple of years ago. And, you know, when, when you see the impact that that basically the iPhone has had on adulting and, 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 and kids engaging in kind of adult-like activities, the decline in that, but also the, the rise of depression um, in, in our youth. I mean, it's, 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 it's some scary statistics that are out there. Um, you know, a couple, couple of folks, uh, I think are in Michigan, wrote the book, Gen Z Goes to College, right? Uh, another good book about, you know, this, this generation that's, that's emerging now. Um, you know, so, so a lot of good resources out there. And then the, the one I, I read, um, and it's not a book, it's, it's kind of a more of a, an article that was written by, by MZ. Um, it's talking about the demographic drought. And this is kind of, you know, looking at what's happening, what's going to happen when this population declines in the workplace and who's going to fill jobs. And, and, and I almost feel like, you know, coming out of this pandemic when it's really hard to hire employees right now, um, you know, we have, we will have hired five new admissions counselors when all is said and done out, out of six positions in our office. Um, we're hiring two financial aid officers um, out of, out of five. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen all this turnover and the job markets, it's, it's tough to find good employees right now. And so, you know, the, the impact that's having on, you know, are, are we going to have to hire someone that maybe was kind of below our standards normally? Um, I certainly hope not. We're, we're, we're taking our time. Um, but, you know, we knew we had four positions open as early as March. And here we are near, nearing the end of July and we've only filled two of them. Um, you know, that's, you know, I, I, I worry about, about demographics here a little bit, not just from a, where students come from, but where do employees come from? And so, you know, I also, and, and, you know, ahead of this podcast, you know, was, was looking at a, a primer that Purdue Global did. Uh, I was really surprised that I found this on Purdue Global's website, but they, but they had a really a, a neat primer about, differences of, of the generations and they even talk about generational differences in the workplace and they kind of created like mini personas of, of each of the generations to, to try to give some a better explanation and um, I, I was talking about this article with with a, a colleague of mine in the office uh, earlier this morning and, and and her point to me is so what you're telling me is that boomers wore a suit to work um, or, or a coat and tie. And then Gen X came along and said, yeah, we don't need a jacket. We're just going to wear a shirt and tie. 
millennials are like, we're going to wear a t-shirt with a button down unbuttoned and that Gen Z want to wear a t-shirt to work. And I said, well, yeah, that's, we're talking about males here. Yeah. That's about the wardrobe changes that, that we've seen here. Um, we've gone from coat and tie down to, down to t-shirt. Um, and I mean, it made me chuckle and I'm like, okay, that's not the, exactly the point I was trying to get across, but, but your point is taken. Um, you know, as, as we've looked at, at workplace attire, um, now we're, we're casual Fridays here and we normally, you know, wear, wear red. We, on Fridays we wear red is what we, we say at, at, at Drury. Um, but I don't really have a great red button down. And I, so I, I wore blue today. I had enough red behind me. I didn't want my body to disappear and, and all of that red, but um, you know, when I first started, we wore a coat and tie practically every day. And, you know, if, if it was dressed down at all, it was like, okay, we're not wearing jackets today. Right. I mean, it just, the, 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 and then because that was the expectation that was, that was being kind of set by our, by, by our boomer bosses when we first started, like, this is the expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, when I started, it was all, it was dresses and skirts for women, and you had to have um, hose on. There's no bare legs. Um, that was, I, I guess that dates me a fair amount, but I was working in the deep south mm -hmm. at the tide, and that was not a fun wardrobe, but it's right. what we did, right? And I have to say, I prefer yes. it now. <laughs> yes, and, and and you know what? I'm fine not wearing a tie every now and then. Now, I, we had a trustee, our, our finance committee met yesterday and I, I was there and had to talk about numbers. So I did wear a tie yesterday. Uh, I was the only person in the room um, in person or virtually who had a tie on. But you know what? I wasn't going to be the only person without a tie. And, and given that we were meeting with some trustees, some of whom were at work, I was like, yeah, I'm wearing a tie. Um, but, you know, that reminds me, I did a college fair a few years ago in Blue Springs, um, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. And it got to be next near the end of the fair. And I, I kind of was looking around and, and it was just kind of looking at what the attire was of, of the different admissions officers. And, and the school next, next to me was, was Benedictine, which was a big rival of Baker. Um, we, we didn't really like each other a whole lot when we played each other in sports, but I'd gotten to know um, their dean of admissions uh, pretty well. And, I, and so we kind of packed up, Pete and I did at the end. And I, and I said, Pete, does your staff ever, and he goes, Ask me if they can wear polo shirts to college fairs. And I said, how did you know that's what I was going to say? He says, because I was looking around the room too, and you and I are the only people here in suits. Both of us had suits on. Um, there were two other gentlemen that had ties on. Um, there were a, a couple more that had jackets on, but no ties. But no one else had a jacket and a tie on. And then the attire for women ranged from, from, you know, kind of khaki slacks and, and, and a polo shirt um, to, I'd, I'd say, more, more, more business-focused tires and, and even a couple business suits, I would say, that where they, where they had jackets um, or, or, or cardigans. Um, but, but we were just saying, yeah, I, I just don't feel comfortable saying, go work at College Fair and, and, and a polo shirt. And, you know, I've had staff, you know, then and, and, and even to today say, well, I just don't think I'm relatable to a high school student if I have a, have a suit coat on. Um, you know, if I had a polo shirt on, I think I'd be a lot more relatable. And, and, I, and, I've, and I've really scoffed at that. Um, but, but to be honest, coming out of the pandemic and, and, and looking at the casualness of the people we've interviewed for jobs have been incredibly casual this summer. Um, their, their attire, I'd be like, I wouldn't, there's, there's no way I would show up for a job in here. I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had someone who came with, you know, uh, it's a button down shirt, but, but, but no tie. And, um, you know, his pants weren't pressed. And, and, you know, in my mind, like if I'm going for a job interview, like I am, you know, focused on every detail I can in terms of my appearance. Um, you know, I, I would argue that some of the women when they've interviewed have, have come in a nice, a really nice t-shirt. Um, I wouldn't even call it a blouse. And so, you know, again, as, 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 as we look at things change, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to go to the, to the polo shirt yet at a college fair, but, but maybe it'd be okay if you didn't have a jacket, maybe, maybe shirt and tie for the guys. Um, but, you know, I, I do feel like we, we have to talk about professional attire again, because we had a whole year without travel. 
Um, and, and, and so let's talk about what you want to look like when you, when you go on the mm-hmm. road. Well, Kevin, one theme that I, I pick up from you is, I mean, obviously you, as, as you, you have your own opinions on certain topics, but at the same time, you seem to be trying to strike a balance with uh, trying to exercise a measure of self-awareness. Like I heard you say earlier, uh, I, I may feel this way because this is how I came up. And so I may just kind of, that may be my natural approach to say advancement and career. And that's kind of my working assumption because that's the way it was for me. But maybe that's, maybe that's not necessarily the way I need to be thinking about it now. And of course there are no clear answers on any of this. It's not like someone's going to weigh in and say polos or no polos. That's a, there's a healthy amount of sort of judgment calls and what's right for your institution and your, the, the market you're going after and all that. But, but I, I did want to point out, I feel like throughout this conversation, you've tempered this with a lot of sort of self-awareness in that, which I think is, is one of those, I would pick up on as kind of one of those healthy guardrails to kind of put around this conversation. And, and, and as you're taking this knowledge on generations and even reflecting on your own self and in how you're operating as a, as a manager. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a really important point. And, you know, because again, trying to be aware of what your blind spots are and, and, and what, you know, for lack of a better term, prejudices you might have in, in, in terms of things um, is important because ultimately, you know, managing people is, is about relationships and, and, and to not be aware of those potential blind spots or, or, or just biases that you might have, you know, puts you in a position where you might not be able to fulfill the, that relationship in a way that it needs to be, right? And, and you may not have the influence on, on someone that, that you could. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I try not to hold things against people too much um, when, when, when they do things wrong um, or, or, or don't meet expectations. Um, and, and I really learned a great lesson in my, in my doctoral program. I had to interview a, a dean of students and, and I asked her, how, how, how is your perspective on, on what you do changed from when you start off as a professional to, to today? And, and she says, well, when I first started, I always focused on the what, you know, what, what did the student do wrong? And, 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 and what's the punishment that meets that? And she's like, I've, I've gotten to the point where, yeah, I'm not always happy with what the what is, but I need to know the why. Because if I can't change the, the underlying factors that, that cause the, the, the student to, to, to engage in inappropriate behavior, I, I, I can't change them, right? And I'm an educator, right? I, I work in higher education. So I need to understand kind of why, and can I get to that root cause? And, 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 I, and that really resonated with me when, when it comes to, to managing people. It's like, so, so why, why did you think it was okay to, to do, you know, whatever? And, um, you know, was that kind of, did you feel empowered that you could do whatever you wanted? Did, did, did someone who trained you say, hey, here's how we do things here, and they just didn't train you right? Um, and, and, and try to, to understand the why so that you can say, well, here's why I'm asking you to do it this way. Um, and, and that really understand that, that, that kind of philosophical basis. Um, I think it allows for, 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 for better dialogue. I think it allows for opportunities for growth and, and, and for that relationship to, to grow. Because as I said, regardless of your generation, you want validation. You want, you want to be told that the job you're doing is making a difference. Um, and, and not just maybe making a difference for the students you interact with, but making a difference for, for your office, um, for, for, for the bigger goals in, in your office. And so, you know, trying to find, you know, that affinity uh, with staff, you know, and, and so um, one of the questions I ask every, everybody I interview are, are tell me about the three B's in life, a book I should read, a band I should listen to, and, and a beautiful place I need to see. And so when I, when, I, when I ask that question and I get students and they start giving me answers, um, like this one student about a month ago said, well, I can't give you one band, but, you know, I'm going to give you the three J's, right? Jimmy, as in Jimi Hendrix, Janice, as in Jimmy jo- uh, Janice Joplin, and then Jim, as in Jim Morrison of the Doors. And I'm thinking, what a great education your parents provided you to, to equip you with like those, that, that great music of the, of the late 60s, early 70s. Um, but, you know, when I ask that of employees, I'm looking for affinity. And so when they, when they say a book and it's something that I've read or something I'm curious about, 
um, or something that I want to read after they get done talking about it, you know, that's something that we can talk about. It's something we can have in common. Uh, the, the, the same way with, with, with bands. When, when, the, when the high school students tell me the name of bands, I go look up on Spotify. And sometimes these bands have five songs. Um, and, and, and I've never heard of any of them. And I have a 15 year old daughter and I'll go ask her and she's like, oh yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I played that all the time. Like I watch the video on YouTube all the time. Um, and it's like, well, would you ever go buy? And then I go, I catch myself. You can't, well, you can buy records again because records are cool again. You can buy records, but you don't really buy CDs anymore. You don't buy cassettes for certain. Sometimes you just buy a song on Apple music and she's like, oh yeah, I, I, I bought it on Apple music. Um, and, and so, you know, again, it's, it's a little harder sometimes to find affinity there, but, but as I, as I tell, you know, my emissions counselors um, here, like you always need to find those affinities because if you find something you have in common and something that you can talk about, you get to build a relationship. And so if that's true for working with students, it's true for working with them employees. And so let's, let's, let's keep finding those affinities because, because we can get to know each other better if we do mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that is an excellent note to to end on. Kevin, if someone is interested to kind of take this conversation further, maybe would like to connect with you, uh, do you have any good ways to do that that you might suggest? Yep. So uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Lord Kevin. Um, that has everything to do with me being a Kenyan college lord and not uh, any type of title uh, that I might have from uh any, any English ancestry or uh, anything of, you know, from Harry Potter of being Lord Voldemort. No, it's Kenyon College Lord. So I was, Lord Kevin seemed like a, a good handle to have on, on Twitter. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I'm always open to emails and it's, it's, it's Kevin.Krupp, that's K-R-O-P-F at hotmail.com. Uh, always happy to, to talk with folks there. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, reaching me at, at, at Drury is, is pretty easy too. My uh, emails you can find online, my phone number as well. So I'm, I'm happy to talk with folks. And, you know, if, if other people out there are struggling with, you know, millennials and, and, and Gen Z who are, you know, they're flexible work natives. I, I read that the other day and that really struck a chord with me. Fle- you know, we talk about digital natives. Now we're dealing with flexible work natives. Um, you know, I, I think there's great conversations to be had. Um, but I'm always going to take it back to don't just pigeonhole someone because of their generation, get to know them, build that relationship, um, figure out what they need to be valued and, and for them to keep being a valuable contributor to, to what you're doing in your, in, your, in your place of work. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Super interesting conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Laura. This has been fun. The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service enrollment marketing agency for colleges and universities of all sizes. To see some of the work we've done and how we've helped schools just like yours, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, if you have a comment, question, suggestion, or episode idea, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co.